Hello, and welcome to Current Thinking with me, Rob Jones. This is the podcast where I interview thinkers and doers with a point of view. In this episode, I speak to Kat Jones about giving killer presentations. Kat heads up a division at Unruly, a leading online video ad platform. She's been featured in Time magazine and by the BBC, and regularly speaks at international conferences. If you want to give better presentations, then this interview is for you. Enjoy! How important is it for you to be able to speak publicly and present? It's really important. Um, It's really important in my role, but I think it's really important for me generally to be able to talk about this stuff. It helps me when I'm doing my research. The more you can talk about that, the more of a platform you're giving people to use your knowledge and use the things that you've discovered so that they can then go away and build on those things. So I think being able to communicate messages in a sort of relatively simple way but uh, get across how exciting they potentially are um, is a really important skill for me. Yeah, and and then sort of for, for people in general maybe who don't have a role like yours, do you think that it's it's an important skill, you know, for the sort of the average office worker? Yeah, I do. I do. I think... Obviously, it varies, um, you know, how much you need to use presenting will vary in, depending on what your job is. But also, I think if you're able to present and you're able to communicate well, then you will tend to find that you're given, you, you come across more opportunities in which you can use that. Um, and, and I think being able to sell is something that ultimately most people should know a little bit about um, whether that's selling a product or whether that's selling your ideas or whether that's just persuading people of your point of view or whether it's just persuading people that your point of view is valid even if they disagree with it mm. um, there are all sorts of ways in which this this kind of skill is valuable yeah great yeah I, mean, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree um, and you know have you always been you know a, a person who's doing public speaking and, and presenting um, how did how did you start out um I yeah I feel like I've I've done a lot of uh speaking in front of people um and I've done that certainly when I joined my company when I joined Unruly I joined in a sales role and I sort of said in my interview with our CEO at the time um you know I know I'm applying for a sales role but long term I don't want to be a sales person I want to do something different but I know that doing a sales program so I was on a six-month program when I started and being able to do that for six months was going to be really important to me in terms of consolidating the skills that I felt I had some background in and making sure that I was confident going out and talking to people and persuading them of this being an amazing offering Um, so I kind of had a good base when I started doing that I think largely because my parents when we were very young me and my sisters we were um Every year we got to do the Ice Deadford, which was um, in the village that we lived in. Uh, there was a kind of another village down the road that ran an Ice Deadford, which I think is a big thing in Wales. Um, I'm not sure how many of them there are around the UK. So what is an Ice Deadford? An Ice Deadford is, uh, I guess, it's a, it's a bit of a festival slash competition where there are lots of different uh, strands going on. So there are speaking strands. So we, we always used to do verse speaking where we had a poem that we memorised or learnt and performed in front of an audience uh, where other people are doing the same and you essentially compete to be the best poem performer. Um, And then there were lots of others, so I sometimes I did occasionally a a prepared reading as well, which is reading a passage from a book, and then there was piano and various other musical um, 
strands as well. So lots of different uh, ways that children can get up and share what they've been learning and share their skills and practice getting up in front of people and, and kind of build their confidence. And I think that did a huge amount for me and for my sisters as well, being able to do that and just getting lots of exposure to standing up and there are lots of adults right in front of you and it's actually not that scary and you can get used to it relatively quickly. I think it helps when you start really young. Mm. And you know, how old were you this when you were doing these? Oh, I think I might have a certificate for maybe six under seven. Um, Which means you're six? Yeah, sorry, I don't know why they called the category six under seven, but uh, six is always under seven. But yeah, uh, I think think that was me, although we have lots of different certificates from all all me and my sisters, so it may have been one of theirs, and I may have been a year or two older than that when I started. And see, you know, you said that it's important in terms of building uh, confidence and and helping people to speak uh, publicly. But do you think it's essential that someone's done this? You know, if, if people haven't had this, this kind of exposure when they're young, is it too late for them? Absolutely not. No, I think it helps. I think it, I think it helps as much because it makes you confident to put yourself in the way of more speaking opportunities. You know, I think I felt more confident to say, I want to go and do six months of sales because I know sales skills are important and I I felt able to do that because I know that I'm able to talk to people and and get a message across. So it helped me to uh, want to do that. I don't know in terms of practice how much it really made me better at it. Um, I think it made me more confident and I think by being more confident I would put myself in the way of opportunities that allowed me to develop that further. Um, But there are lots of people that I work with. Unruly is a great place to work because it's very... uh, it's an environment where people are really encouraged to develop their skills and to practice. And actually, if you want to speak, there are always opportunities for you to do some speaking. Um, and it's just giving yourself the permission to practice because so much of it is practice. Yeah. And and going back to the sales role that you had uh, mm-hmm. when you first started at Unruly, um, beyond just exposure... Was there anything else that you learnt during that time that, that helped you to, to improve? Yeah, how to simplify. Um, so I think that was a big thing for me during that six months was about how do I refine my pitch from all the things that uh, once I know all the nitty gritty of our proposition, the things that I think are really great, and kind of distilling that into a couple of central messages that I'm trying to get across and then essentially crafting my presentation decks um, around those central messages and say if there are only one or two things people are going to take away from this I know exactly what they are and that's the forefront of my mind from when I start to when I finish. Yeah and do you have any tricks or, or tips for for doing that or is it just you know you've got to just got to do the hard work of you know thinking everything through? I think it's just giving yourself the headspace to do it so it's thinking about who your audience are is always the first thing so who are my audience, Um, what do they care about? Um, So in my case, I was selling to media agencies. So I'm always thinking, right, I've got a media agency here. Ultimately, they need to look good for their clients. So they want stuff that they can take to their client and it makes them look really good. So this is my starting point. And then I think, right, so with, with that backdrop, 
across all of the things that we offer and all of the benefits of the unruly proposition, what is it that's going to most resonate with those people? And I don't think it's hard to do, um, especially when you already do have that detailed knowledge, because you can basically sketch it out on a bit of A3 paper and you can say, well, here are all the benefits and here's how they interconnect. And then you come back to your A3 paper with a different coloured pen and sort of rank your benefits in terms of if I put myself in the shoes of my person, my customer or my audience member, what's most interesting to them. Um, and I guess it's not just most interesting. So if you if you talk about a sales presentation, it's what's uh, the key benefit for them. Um, but I think the other thing to bear in mind is um, what's going to hook them. So what's most engaging, and it may not be a benefit, it's something that's going to make you stand out, like particularly for you know me selling into media agencies. There are lots and lots of media owners trying to get time with these people, um, and these people have budgets to spend on media. So how do you get yourself remembered, and um, what's your kind of edge? Uh, and I think knowing that, is again something you just give yourself the time, you look across your proposition and you say, what's really unusual about what we do? And what was your edge? Well, mine was easy because it's video. So we were just, I I was able to say um, in my presentations, I can do a quick one minute, most shareable video of right now. Um, And sometimes people have seen it or sometimes like a couple of people in the meeting have seen it and the other 12 haven't. Um, And it gets a little laugh going. It only takes a minute and then you can dive into. So this is exactly the kind of stuff we do. Here's how we do it. Yeah. And and so then in terms of structure, you'd start off with something that gets people's attention. um, And then would you, you know, go straight into the the, the highest priority key message or, or, or what? How would you do that? I think the whole presentation is on the highest priority key message. You mm-hmm. either choose one or two messages and then your whole presentation is on those. Um, so you have a setup, you have a, an illustration of your point, you have a recap, but it's all around that central message and you try not to clutter it too much with mm-hmm. all of the supporting material. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of depends as well on the environment. So that, that might be a conference presentation. That's certainly what I would do because you've got 100 people in the audience and you don't have a chance to interact with them initially. Uh, so sometimes I do. Sometimes the way that I get attention is to say, uh, very briefly, here's our framework for understanding how shareable videos are. Now I'm going to show you two videos and everybody, you've got a card under your seats, hold up your card to show what your emotion is and how strong your emotion is. And we can do a little survey. And there's actually an app you can use on your phone as well to do this. So you can get the audience to um, open, like, and get it into the conference material to have an app. Uh, you install this uh, and then they can vote on their app uh, or respond to a survey question. So it was quite fun because I was saying we're measuring this using a survey let's do it right now, we had enough people in the audience, everybody votes nice. on the app, and suddenly you can say, and in this in this panel, this video wins, uh, and actually when we tested it, here are the results, and yes, you're right, that video did win when we did it in front of a wider panel as well. So um, it doesn't necessarily it have to be something that sort of immediately springs to mind, or we'd never use those apps in our real product, but it's kind of a parallel mm-hmm. um, that is interesting, and it gets people engaged. Um, so I think with conference presentations, it's harder to do with meetings um, where you just have 15 people in a room and you're selling into them or uh, or it's like an internal uh, 
internal sort of within your company um, I would tend to do a bit of an intros around um, what what do you want to get out of this meeting type stuff because then you can orient and you may have standard slides but you don't have to use all of them you can dip in and out and you can focus in on the things that people are really interested in because again it's back to understanding your audience as well as you can yeah and I think also for when you have a smaller meeting you can do more of understanding their problems and you're not necessarily yeah. by just you know outright asking them but mm-hmm. asking them maybe about the way they work or and things like this yeah absolutely and and especially when um if you're doing this because you have a product that you're trying to uh, develop and sell at the same time usually um you can get quite a lot of feedback from the group without necessarily asking them for their feedback when you go through a couple of different aspects of your product where you show them this and show them that um, even just like counting the oohs and counting the wows mm. and the gasps uh, really helps you see which bits of your product are really resonating with these guys and what do you want to develop and what's the stuff that actually doesn't seem to be impressing anybody. <laughs> yeah. In, you know, in this sales role, you learn about simplifying, um, you know, also about having some kind of hook as well um, and, and, and tailoring to, to your audience. Either in, in that role or, or since then, is there anything else that you've learned or that's led to sort of big improvements in, in you know, your ability to speak and persuade? Yeah, I think I would say that there are two key things that you do to deliver an effective presentation. Um, so what, whatever environment that's in. Um, and I would say the first is confidence and the second is um content basically so i mean those both sound really broad but the first is making your audience convinced that you are confident and that you're not nervous and you're not unsure of what you're saying um that you are authoritative and you know what you're talking about so the first bit is just making sure that you are confident and the second bit is making sure that your content is relevant to who you're talking to but also is is interesting <laughs> um and usually no matter who you are and what you're trying to talk about, if you go niche enough, your content will be interesting. It may not be your whole point, and you might want to talk about loads of other things, but actually, especially if you're doing um, something at, like a bigger talk at a conference or at a, an event, um, you can always find something that's going to be interesting to the people you're talking to, or that's just going to make you seem unusual or there's a bit of science here or there's a bit of data here it might be data you've borrowed from somewhere else it may not be your data um but if you can find that bit that you know they will find interesting uh, and you can present it with confidence um you're pretty much there in terms of confidence what can people do to to be more confident you know in their in their presentation and in their style Mm. as well i think two things um so the first is knowing your material really well because as soon as you know your material well you're going to be much more confident a to talk about it in the first place but b to talk about it in very different types of situations so that's the first thing and then I think the second thing is just practice Um, but it's just doing it doing it as much as you can and if you're not confident enough to do it directly uh, right now like go and talk at a conference there are lots of things you can do to just get comfortable with talking in front of people and get yourself used to it enough that you're not going to blush lots of people find if they go red and hot uh, or if they like clearly start feeling you know like they have sweaty palms or they're uncomfortable um, it's quite difficult to uh, 
not show that. Um, so sometimes that will make people feel uncomfortable because they know this is going to happen to them. It's a bit of a vicious cycle, um, and so they don't want to do it. So actually just going and practising standing up in front of people and talking um, is a really good way to get yourself ready to then present. Do you have any sort of specific things that, that people can, can do to practise? Uh, yeah, uh, what would they be? So one would be Toastmasters. So Toastmasters is a programme that runs in lots of cities um, and some of the best salespeople that I know um, use Toastmasters as a way to kind of get their grounding. So this is where you go uh, into a group of other people who are there to practice presenting um, and you present to the group. Um, you get the feedback from the group, you get some coaching from um, experts as well and it's just a chance to practice and practice and practice and you can sign up for 10 sessions. Um, and go and you do 10 presentations and they're short um, and they're on it, it also helps you to get ready because you're preparing a presentation and yeah like you say it might not be something you know about before so it helps you with the kind of research and distilling your message part and then it helps you with the delivery part as well and it just gets you comfortable um, and when you get the validation actually yeah that bit was really great this is what you're doing that's really great it helps you to center your focus and to say okay this is where I want to develop and these might be the things that I want to stop doing I want to stop uh you know standing on sort of one leg bent and all off to the side or whatever it is um and it helps kind of focus on very practical things that you can do rather than a, a whole big area of presenting that is sometimes harder to tackle without the constituent parts. Um, so I'd say Toastmasters is a good place to start. Um, there are also lots of other events, like one one that I went to recently is Moth London, uh, which if you're in London is, is a good one to try, uh, which is a storytelling event. And it basically is you stand up, you tell a five-minute story um, in front of a group, and that's pretty much it. Uh, you prepare your story beforehand. Um, lots of people that go to the event are just there to listen to the stories. Uh, but the understanding is that not, you know, people go there and aren't necessarily familiar with talking in front of people. And it's kind of a forgiving environment and you get some amazing stories. It's nice to listen to them. You get a chance to share your own stories and to get used to talking to a room of 40 people, which is again just that practice stuff once you're comfortable with that you can do pretty much anything yeah and i think for the for the moth it's not just london um i think they've got you know various cities mm. throughout the world i think it, i think it originally uh comes from new york um okay so that, that that sounds good there's some you know some really concrete things there um that that people can do um what are the biggest mistakes that you see people making in these situations um, I think one is not knowing the material well enough. Um, so you may know your presentation well, uh, but then the questions come and people very quickly realise that you're not actually necessarily the expert that you, you presented yourself to be. Um, and that's easy to sort just with a bit more preparation beforehand. Um, I think the other thing that's quite a common one, uh, especially for people that are less comfortable, is rather than just knowing the material well enough and, and going over it in general enough that it's kind of clear in your head, um, people remember a script for their presentation and then they're actually reciting rather than talking uh, and it doesn't feel natural and it makes sometimes makes the audience uncomfortable as well because they're kind of 
urging you on and they're saying, oh, I hope they don't forget this bit and they can tell that you're trying to kind of present something you've memorised. Um, and as soon as your audience is sort of edging you, urging you on and uh, hoping for you to successfully give your presentation, then they're not really listening to what you're saying. Um, and it just... It's not, a, it's not a great way to present unless you can memorise and also deliver in such a way that nobody would ever guess that you memorised it. Um, usually I would say it's, it's uh, easier not to memorise it in the first place and just to know what your central point is on each, if you're going to have slides, what, what's the central point you're making on each slide. Usually the image on your slide will, will represent that central point. Um, and either you can have the cue cards or what I tend to do is to have my slide and I do glance over my shoulder at my slide that's behind me um, above the stage and I can then, uh, I know, I know, yep, that's the flow of my presentation, I know what my central point is and then I can talk around that for a minute and a half before I want to move on to the next slide um, and I think that's a much more natural way to do it and I think the best presenters that I see, that's how they do it. Mm. For someone who's, you know, pretty nervous and is going on stage and is you know worried that they're going to forget all their material do you think that this this applies to them or is it just once you're getting past that initial stage um i think it depends how frequently they have the slides and it depends so if it's a relatively uh, fast slide frequency and if the setup is such that you have a monitor in front of you uh, then i think this could apply to them because actually you can have a slide you know, you can have a slide every 15 seconds and there's not very much that you need to remember words-wise to go with that slide. Um, but obviously, if you're doing that every 15 seconds, you don't want to be looking over your shoulder every 15 seconds because you're trying to engage your audience. So I would say, unless you have a monitor, monitor in front of you to refer to, um, then that's where cue cards would be better. And actually having some cards on the lectern or in your hand that you can glance at, you can have a card per slide um, and you can have a couple of bullet points on each. And again, if you've got your bullet point, as long as you don't fill your card with text to the extent that you need to read the card, um, you just have a couple of central points. You can see when you glance the card and then you can talk around those. Um, that should be enough for most people that are comfortable. Once you're comfortable in front of people, um, that should give you enough of a prompt for the material itself. Mm. And I think the Moth event is actually quite good for this as well because one of their rules is that um, it, it can't be memorised and you can't be reciting. Mm. So you just have to sort of know what the vague, you know, sort of the arc of your story is and what the content is and mm. then, you know, deliver that. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of uh, sort of mistakes, are there any other big mistakes or, or are those are sort of the main ones? I think I think those are the main ones. Um, I think most of the others, if you get your content right and if you're confident, if you if you can at least seem confident, um, and there will be tricks that you can use to seem more confident than you are, um, then you can get around most other things that will and, come up. And do you, you have any examples of any of those tricks? Yeah, I would say um, your foot. Foot position is a really big one. So if you're nervous, um, you will tend to move around uh, in a nervous manner uh, and you'll maybe stand slightly more. You'll put your weight on one leg and the other leg will be kind of up and you won't look grounded and you won't look authoritative. Um, so I would say if you are nervous, that's a really good place to start is I'm going to plant my feet and they're going to be evenly spaced. And my legs will be straight and my back will be straight. 
and I'm going to present like this. Um, and I think that's a good way to kind of get past the visible manifestations of nervousness. Um, and then from there, I, you, I think most people will go and go through that phase and eventually when they're more comfortable, they will start to move around the stage and interact with their slides a little bit more. Um, but there's certainly no harm in uh, standing in an authoritative position in the centre of the stage mm. and, and giving your talk from there. And, and do you have any uh, sort of other tactical tips like that? Um, so, you know, f- for example, um, in terms of content, do you tell jokes? Do you think people, you think it's good when people tell jokes or, or should they avoid them? Um, I think jokes are great if you've gauged your audience right and if, you're, if you've tried them out before and people have laughed. <laughs> so if you know they're funny and you know that your audience is going to find them funny and you know that you can deliver them in such a way that people will find it funny, then I think that's great and I've seen that work really well. Um, I I don't personally tend to use very many jokes. Um, I think a lot of the laughs that come from my talks are in interaction with the audience. I do try to engage the audience as much as I can, even if it's a big group. I will um, make comments to them. I might ask them things in a sort of rhetorical way. Uh, and I might get eye contact and nods and eyebrow raises. Um, so sometimes those interactions will lead to a comment that's funny about the relationship between me and the audience. But usually those are just kind of in the moment. Yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, audience interaction. How, how do you, you know, how do you go about getting that? How do you, because it's a nice thing to have. It is a nice thing to have, and again, it depends on group size. If you can actually get talking to people, then that's great. Um, if you can get something back from them. Uh, so when you say get talking to people, what do you what do you mean? Well, I mean, if you can uh, if you can actually say like, why are you here? Why are you interested in this? Or have you seen? In my case, have you seen this video from Idaka that was the biggest Christmas ad of the year? Uh, so that that then extends to if you've got a slightly bigger group and you can't go round and hear from everybody um you can still do well have you seen this before is this is this new to you do you know the answer to this question these sorts of things and at least you can get you can either get nods or shakes or if you want to go a bit more formal you can do hand raises um i tend to do more nodding and shaking of heads but people tend to be quite up for that um and especially if you hook them in early enough you'll most audiences will be able to participate to the extent that they'll nod and shake heads and you can comment on that and summarize it for everybody else that can't necessarily see what the people around them are Mm, doing mm. um and and earlier you spoke about slides um and, and and visuals as well how do you like to put together your presentations do you have lots of slides few slides what do you have on them um i tend to have maybe a slide per minute, minute and a half, because I like to dance around my slides. I like to point at this bit and point at that bit, um, depending what the slide is. Uh, But I like to use my slides to illustrate my points. I don't want people to be looking too much at my slides. They're kind of setting the the backdrop for what I'm saying, and I want people listening to what I'm saying. Um, So I will tend also, for that reason, to make sure that my slides are very clean, Um, They only ever have one point on them and usually as much as possible that's a title and an image and there isn't lots of text. Occasionally I will have a quote on my slide so if there's some research that supports what I'm saying I might quote an academic or an influential business person or whatever Um, so that quote might be on the slide and then I can actually... Uh, rather than memorising the quote I can say and there's a quote on this and turn back and I can read the quote with the audience 
Um, but I would never really have content on a slide that I don't... I wouldn't have text on a slide that I don't get to as the audience are reading it, because you know as soon as you put text up, the audience will read it immediately. So if I'm going to do that, I'll queue up the slide before I get to the slide so that I'm ready to turn with the audience and read the quote out um, as they're reading it themselves. So I would say, yeah, clean slides, one point per slide, um, as visual as possible, uh, and not not loads of text. I mean, that could have been one of the mistakes that I see, actually, mm. with the people who's not so much in their delivery. Their delivery might be great, but their slides are just full of text that people sit and read. Yeah. And it just doesn't matter how good their delivery is in that case because nobody's listening to it, they're reading the slides. Yeah, and, and you also mentioned queuing up the content as well in terms of in your delivery, which is something that aids aids the process. So... But when they set it up before they even show it to you and you've got the question in your mind and it provides the answer, I think that can be uh, quite powerful. Yeah, and actually that was one of the things when I transitioned from using cue cards, which I did a lot in my early presentations to make sure that I, even when I didn't feel like I necessarily needed the cue card, um, I thought I knew the material, but it was just in case I got nervous and found that I suddenly had forgotten all of my material, then I knew that I had it there. And even if I didn't use it, it was good to just know it was there. Um, but then once I didn't, I definitely didn't need it for that reason. I knew I knew the content. Um, I did still have a cue card and it just had little pictures of each of my slides. So I drew out my slides um, so that I knew what the flow of the slides was. And when I was finishing on slide four, I knew exactly what slide five was and I wasn't going to forget it because if I forgot it, I could look down and see, oh, that's slide five. Um, and then always trying to cue that up before you get to slide five. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think we've been talking a lot about this in terms of in the context of, you know, giving a big presentation to, to lots of people. If instead it's, you know, it's a, it's a smaller meeting, maybe you're with um, two others, they may be clients or whoever, do you think uh, you want to have the same kind of slides and visuals or do you want to use something different or not use slides? How do you, how do you like to approach that? I tend to prefer, if it's a small enough meeting to be conversation driven, I tend to prefer to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I may have a deck. I usually do have a deck um, in case I need to pull something up to support a point. So a lot of what I do is quite data driven anyway. So often I do want to show an example in answer to one of their questions or, you know, it's easier to show the graph than to try and, you know, explain the graph um sometimes I don't sometimes I just draw the graph if I need to Mm -hmm. um but I do prefer if it's a small group um just sit down talk with each other find out why everybody's there what what the interest is um and as much as you can communicate verbally um rather than by using lots of screens and visual aids and taking people's attention away from your face um I think also as much as you can sometimes I will just print if it's a small group I'll just print my visual aids and I'll pull out the one I need if I need it and show it and then I can sketch on it and annotate it um and that's a bit more participatory than if you have it up on the screen and sometimes people take them off me and they annotate them as well yeah. um and occasionally I've improved my visual aids because people have, <laughs> have sketched things onto them for me in meetings yeah and in my personal preference as well for a a small meeting like that is if you do have figures that you might need to refer to is to 
to print them out because it's much better having something on on paper and everyone's you know, can you know, look at it together yeah. rather than something away on a screen that mm. that, that breaks the, uh, the the conversation. It avoids the tech issues as well. How many meetings have you been in where you <laughs> have ten minutes at the start where you can't get the computer working or you haven't got the right leads or the USB sticks not working or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Well, on on tech issues, I know. Do you have any? Any tips if someone's going to go out and maybe they need to give a presentation or demo a product at a client site? Any any tech mm. tips? Uh, yeah, I would say backup. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Um, make sure you've got a backup. So if you're going to be presenting, make sure if you've sent the deck to people already so that they can queue it up, send it as a PowerPoint, send it as a PDF or you know whatever you're using, but try to also send it as a PDF. Um, mine usually have videos in, so also know what the YouTube links are, also have downloaded videos on your memory stick so that if the embedded links aren't working, you can pull them up on YouTube, you can just play them from a down from a you know from the stick. Um, so I think that's a big one. I think if you're doing a demo, it's harder because often you do really need the internet to be working. Uh, one of the things that we do at Unruly is if people are doing a lot of demos, um, have their own dongle for internet access so if you can't get onto the client network or whoever you're talking to uh, you have a way to access your demo regardless um, the other thing that I've done sometimes is actually where I'm trying to do a walkthrough of a dashboard so a lot of our data products are dashboard based um, and if I'm trying to do a walkthrough of that sometimes what I do is either take screenshots of my dashboard so that if if everything fails, I can at least get a PDF or a PowerPoint up and scroll through the screenshots uh, where the screenshots are showing where the mouse is and doing exactly the same journey that I would do if I were clicking around. The other thing that's worked quite well in the past is actually just taking a video. It's quicker than screenshotting lots of screenshots. Um, but if you do your demo and take a take a video you don't need to worry about timing because this is I think the, the big thing that people would be concerned is if I take a video of my half hour presentation then I have to time what I'm saying so that it perfectly matches up with when my mouse moves to the next bit um, what I tend to do is just do the mouse movements on my video and then I pause the video if I need to talk so mm. I do usually need to talk in between every mouse movement That's a good tip. Uh, but yeah if you have the video file it just is you know maybe it's only three minutes of actually you moving around the dashboard getting new screens applying new filters whatever uh, you just do that bit pause it talk around it play it and do the next bit and then pause it and so on yeah um, and I think it's so much better if you don't require internet access um, uh, you know, and, and there are other things you can do, like if it's a you know server-based product where it's serving a web interface and like that, then maybe uh, maybe the tech guys can set up a a, a local version of the the server mm. on your mm. um, on your laptop. Uh, that, that's a good one. Okay, and so what can what can people do? Uh, you know, to go out and do tomorrow to start getting better at presenting. Go to a moth event. Go mm -hmm. to a Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. And I would say, if you actually want to seriously want to do this, I would say identify what your angle is. So of all the things you know about, uh, what could you talk about that's actually really interesting? So look at everything you know and then go niche on all of it mm -hmm. and say, as soon as I go, you know, you should be able to find something, go niche. Uh, if you go niche, it's something often people don't haven't thought about or don't know about, um, and you can be an expert on it because you've got your 
grounding in the wider area and you can talk about this with authority. So find out what your niche is, your interesting niche, um, work out who it's interesting for. And then I'd say go and pitch it. If you're serious, go and pitch it. Um, just write a quick email, um, fire it off to a few conference organisers, customise it, <laughs> mm-hmm. make sure you have some emails about, uh, some lines about their conference and why it's a fit, um, and see if you get any bites. Um, so I would say, yeah, in terms of the kind of content and actually starting to practice this stuff, if you feel ready to do that, go and pitch it, see if people think your content is interesting enough to include. Um, and also... Talk to people at work because often companies will have lots of opportunities to speak and potentially more speaking opportunities than they have people that want to speak. It's not actually that common for people to be putting themselves forward for this kind of stuff. So if you are up for it, mention it to your company and see if they've got anything to send your way. Thanks for listening. This has been part one of a two-part interview. If you enjoyed this, be sure to come back and listen to the next episode in which I speak to Kat about launching successful products. You can find links to all the episodes and to subscribe at current-thinking.rjones.net. And you can find Kat on Twitter at Kat R. Jones, and that's Kat with a C. Thanks very much for listening and come back for the next one.